0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, just a couple things I want to mention. Um, we have coming up uh, a work bee in June, June 1st, and there's a sign-up sheet out there. And I'd like you to put your name uh, on the sign-up sheet if you're able to come, because I have certain jobs that I'd like to see accomplished, and I would like to have the material here for those jobs to be accomplished. But I don't want to b- want to buy more material than we have people coming. So. Put your name down, and I'll plug you into a a good job that you'll love. I guarantee you. And also, we have a cookout right after the second service today. And uh, depending on the weather, it might be a cook in, but we do have uh, hamburgers and hot dogs, Huffman hot dogs, of course. And uh, so we invite each one of you to come to that. We are in Exodus chapter 37. And I didn't realize it until I got over here that um, some of my printing is all blurred must be running out of ink, so you might have to bear with me as we go through it. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for the fact that you hear prayer, you answer prayer, and you truly do dwell among your people. And as we break open your word this morning, we ask that it would be your Holy Spirit that would give us insight and understanding to everything we cover that we would not look at the Word as just being, you know, print on a, on a printed page, but we would look at it as being, as it really is, the Word of God to man. And we pray, Father, that we would be instructed, encouraged, and directed by your Word this morning. And so come in all of your love and, and in the fullness of your Holy Spirit, and fall upon us this morning that we might truly be enlightened by your truth, I pray in Jesus Yeshua's name. Amen. And amen. You know, one of the things, when you're working on portions of scripture like this, it can be kind of like, you know, what are we going to say? You know, we're talking about lampstands, we're talking about incense, you know. But when you really dig into the word of God, it not only has deep meaning to it, but it has personal meaning to it for each one of us. And one of the things that we have to realize is that the scripture says we're to meditate on the word of God. And so often when we talk about meditate on the Word of God, we think, well, what is that? Well, it means just that. In other words, you don't read it like you're reading your favorite novel. You read it with an open heart and spirit that when you come across a part that makes you think, you stop and you think about it. If, it, if you come across a portion that you quite don't understand, there's no better commentary than the Bible itself. And most of our Bibles have, you know, our study Bibles, and they have all kinds of cross-references, and they have concordances, and every other thing. When you come across a portion you don't really understand, dig into it. Meditate on the Word of God. That's how it really gets into your heart, and you know it. Like when you're in college. You know, you have certain elective courses that you have to take when you're in college, and all you care about is just giving the right answer. You know, i got to remember this, and I regurgitate this. But then you have your major that you really want to understand. And you do a whole lot more than just read the pages on the textbook, right? You, you think about it, and, and you, so you understand it. You could apply it, you know, to whatever your work situation is. The same thing is true with the Word of God. Study to show yourself approved. A workman correctly handling the Word of Truth, needing not be ashamed and so that's how we have to look at God's Word. And just looking at the furnishings that we're covering um, even this morning, the furnishings of the tabernacle, they have meaning to it. Every aspect has meaning. Like one of the things we're going to be looking at is that some of the uh, articles of, of the tabernacle were made of pure gold. But a lot of them were acacia wood that was covered with gold. And to me, there's a real meaning behind that. Because the acacia wood, to me, represents our humanity. And being overlaid with gold represents the holiness of God, His Holy Spirit, just engulfing us. And so that the beauty of holiness, not our holiness, but His holiness, might be seen to all those around us as we share our faith wherever we go. And... um, you know, like the furnishings of the tabernacle, they have a purpose. And the purpose, every furnishing in the tabernacle was for ministry. Every, every bit of the furnishings. Well, God desires to use us for ministry. And we cannot be useful to the Lord for ministry if we're just Acacia wood. We have to be overlaid with gold. Now, gilding or overlaying wood in this sense with uh, gold was well known by the Egyptians. And so consequently, the Israelites would have been taught how to do this kind of smelting, this kind of overlaying of gold uh, while they're in Egypt. And it's so interesting how many things that as slaves they learned in Egypt that they were able to use when they came out for the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness and for the worship of the Lord. And um, when you want to have some kind of a precious metal overlaid with wood, and uh, this isn't just innate knowledge I had. I actually looked it up to find out a little bit more about it. What happens is you have to take an ordinary s- substance like this acacia wood, and it has to be washed thoroughly, rinsed thoroughly, so there's no impurities on it. And then what you do is you... Overlay it with an adhesive, and they had all different kinds of adhesives that they used at that time, and then you take what they call leaf gold, and it's just very thin gold, and they melt it down, and they first overlay it with that, and what that does is sink right into the pores of the wood to help the bonding, you know, even stronger. And then they overlay it with the gold. Now, I was interested in the difference between the term overlaying and plating plating is very very thin and it can wear off overlaying is a much thicker layer of gold so that it can over you know it can last over time it won't wear off and the lord desires to overlay us with his holy spirit you talk about gold i mean what could be more precious than you and i plain ordinary you know articles being filled with the holy spirit and useful to the lord but one of the things that was interesting that in my little study on uh, overlaying uh, gold um, was this, that if there's any impurity on the wood or the substance, whatever it is that's being overlaid, if there's any impurity on it, the gold won't adhere. Any impurity, the gold won't adhere. And to me, it, it spoke of the fact that we need to make sure that we're clean. We're clean, completely. So that the overlaying of the Holy Spirit, the goal of the Holy Spirit, can adhere to us. But the interesting thing is, how are we cleaned? We're we're cleaned by the Holy Spirit Himself. In fact, I have a couple of verses I want to share here. In 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the fornicator, nor adulterer, nor idolaters, or nor, idolaters nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor, nor uh, revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And I love what it says here. And such were some of you. That's the way we were. But... You were washed, like cleansing of the ordinary object. But you were sanctified, and that's like putting that adhesive on. But you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God and were overlaid with the gold of God. I mean, you see it right there in Scripture. Just as the articles of the tabernacle were prepared for ministry, God has been and is preparing you and I for ministry. He desires to use us. Now, in Exodus chapter 37, we're picking up with verse 17. And, he's, and it says this He also made the lampstands of pure gold, of hammered work he made the lampstands. And Hammered work is much more beautiful. This is, uh, you know, not a big one, and it's not super fancy, but we actually purchased this in Israel. And uh, if you can see, it's not like molded gold where it's real shiny and flat. See all the... That's hammered gold. It's, it's very, very pretty. And I have this up here as our little object lesson today. And, um, okay, the, uh, the lampstand is shaft. Its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and its flowers were of the same piece. It was one, one piece. And the six branches came out of its side. Three branches on the lampstand out of the one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. I want you to pay attention to something as we're going through this, because until the very end, it's always talking about six branches. Three branches, three branches. It's always talking about six branches. So, so pay attention to that. Verse nineteen. Uh, there were three bulls made like almond blossoms on the one side with an ornamental knob and a flower, and three branches made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six six branches coming out. So uh, for the six branches coming out of the lampstand. Now, the bowls and the, and, the, and the knobs and so forth, they were actually what fed the lamp, the olive oil, in the proper amount so that it would light and have a nice continuous light. Verse 20, and on the lampstand itself, four bowls made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower, and this is where the actual olive oil was poured in. And there was a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same. You notice six. It's always six we're talking about here. Uh, and a knob under the third two branches. I already said they're the same. According to the six, according to the six branches extending from it. Their knobs and their branches were of one piece. All of it was one hammered piece of pure gold. And he made its seven lamps. Now, all of a sudden, you have seven in there. It's talking about six lamps, six lamps, six lamps. Now you have seven lamps. Its wick trimmers and its trays of pure gold. Of a talent, that's quite a bit, of pure gold, he made it with all its utensils. Well, the interesting thing is is that we find in Scripture that the seventh lampstand or the seventh lamp, is Jesus Christ. The seventh lamp, like on a menorah, so you have seven. You have three on either side. And a lot of menorahs, you've seen them, they're on an angle. And the middle one stands up higher. And the middle one was the one that they would take the light from often to light the other lampstands. And, of course, it's interesting that Jesus is the light of the world. Now, if you look at Jewish tradition, they tell you that the seventh lampstand, repre- the seventh lamp, represents the day of rest. You know, God gave them the Sabbath. You know, the day of rest. But it's interesting that it tells us in Scripture, Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. In um, Hebrews chapter four. In Hebrews chapter four, if you're if you're turning there with me, we're going to look at verses nine and ten. Hebrews four verses nine and ten. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, for he has entered his rest. For he who has entered uh, his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from His. And so as we enter his rest, we're able to cease from our own works. And that's one of the problems often that we have as believers. All the work we do is our own works. We want to be busy. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. I want to do that. What does the Lord want you to do? We need to enter his rest, be led by the Holy Spirit, and do what God has shown us to do. And, um, also, you consider the ornate beauty of the lampstand. And this is just a poor replica. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, when we're in, J- in Jerusalem, they have the, the actual lampstand that's going to be used in the, in the third temple. It's, it's, it's completed. And it's encased in this you know glass thing so it can't be stolen and so forth. It is beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. And so when we see... The lampstand here is just a simple replica, but the original lampstand was absolutely beautiful. And uh, the beauty of the lampstand speaks to us the beauty of holiness. And in Psalm 96, uh, 96, verse 9, it says, "Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now think about what that is saying. This is why we have to meditate on Scripture, not just read through it like a fast book. It doesn't say in this particular portion, in, in uh, Psalm 96, or, yeah, 96.9, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness or your holiness, but in the beauty of holiness, of of surrender, of sanctification, of being in His presence. And so when we come before the Lord... And we have our times of prayer, our times of study of the word, our times of meditating on on who he is and all he's done for us. We have to do it in the beauty of holiness, allowing all of the distractions of this world to be set aside, to come to a place where we're just in his presence. And I think oftentimes it's too inconvenient for us to do that. This is my time of prayer. This is my time of Bible reading. I've got to... And we don't take the time to really, really meditate and be with the Lord. I think it's so important for us to understand that. Because God has ordained we, his church, you, brothers and sisters, and me, to be the light of the world, hasn't he? It's interesting, when John had his revelation, he's on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's Day, the eighth day of the week, Sunday, and uh, he was uh, worshiping the Lord because that was the day that the Lord had set aside to worship him. And he had the revelation. And he turned, it says in Revelation 1, verses 12 through 14. He said, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, which was the Lord. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Seven is always the number of completion or perfection. Verse 13. And in the midst, in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. And in your Bible, the S is capitalized and so is the M of Son of Man because it's referring to Jesus Christ. Clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about his chest with a golden band. Well, you see, the seven lampstands represent the church. We are the light of the world. And Jesus was in the midst of his church. And each individual lamp represents the person. We are the light of the world. But we always have to understand that the light that we have is not of our own. It's just a reflection of who he is. And so we as believers in the church, being his lampstands, being his lamp, we are to reflect the light of Christ to the world around us. And, you know, it's, it's such an interesting, interesting thing. I'm um, <clears throat> reading one of my uh, Tozer books over again. I wish I had a dollar for every time I read his books. But uh, A.W. Tozier, his book on, um, oh, what is it, the one I'm reading on, on uh, The Knowledge of the Holies. And he's, make, he's making the point. Now, you have to understand, A.W. Tozier, he died in 1963. So he's writing quite a while ago. And A.W. Tozer is writing, and he's saying that what we see in the church today, a lot of it is just superficial. And what really needs to be seen in the church is oftentimes overlooked. Do you follow what I'm saying? Because the purpose of the church is to come together, To study the word of God and to encourage one another and all the more as we see that day approaching. Isn't that what scripture tells us? Do not. You know what do not means? When you read it in the Bible, it's a command. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, gee, I'd like you to. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together as some have grown in the custom of doing. But come together, and all the more, as you see that day approaching. And it goes on to tell us it's for the purpose of encouraging one another. And so we as believers, we're called together because when we come together, two or three are gathered together in his name. There I am in your very midst. He comes and he, his Holy Spirit, he meets with us. And the very purpose of his meeting with us is to empower us to be his light, to be his ministers in the world. We're living in a world that is so quickly going downhill. Any of us who who watches the news, we know that. And I'm not just talking about the political landscape, that's, you know, mind-boggling enough, but just what's going on in the world. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Um, I'm not going to mention who it is, but um, uh, one of the sisters in the church was telling us about her child filling out an application for college, and when it came to, you know how you identify your sex? It gave six choices. A man who identifies as a man, a man who identifies as a woman, a woman who identifies as a woman, a woman who identifies as a man, a transgender who identifies as a man, and a transgender who identifies as a woman. Well, you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal about that? The Word of God said He created them male and female. That's, that's what the Word of God says. And I guarantee you, there is no one who's going to have a DNA test and say, yep, they're transgender. When you have a DNA test, you're either male or you're either female. So what do we have going on here? We have a world that is literally spinning out of control. The immorality of this world is going bizarre. That's the reason that you and I as believers, we have to stand firm on the Word of God we have to stand on, on not only the Word of God, but allow His Holy Spirit to be the very oil that would shine through us to bring the truth to those around. Because, brothers and sisters, there are way too many churches, and I'm not saying that the, that the churches aren't filled with true Bible-believing, you know, born-again Christians, but the churches are more concerned about doing things than doing the one thing that is important. And that's worshiping the Lord gathering together i mean what is the purpose of the church what's my purpose as as a pastor to equip the saints for the works of ministry So I'm not here to just entertain you. It would be great if I had a nice voice like my son and had the dance moves my granddaughter. I could get up here and I could sing and dance, man. I could entertain you and you would feel really good. Hey, that church was great, man. I was so entertained. But what would it do? What would it prove? What would it resolve? What benefit would it be? So my purpose is to equip you that you go out there, saints, and take the gospel everywhere you go that's the purpose of the church now you have a very similar account as what we just read about here and uh, in Zechariah chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 now the angel who talked with me came back and he wakened me as a man who was waken out of a sleep and he said to me what do you see I said I am looking And there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the uh, the stand seven lamps, see the seven lamps, with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one on the right uh, of the bowl and one on its left. So I answered and I spoke to the angel, Who talked with me, saying, "What are these, my lord?" Now, in your Bible, it's a a small l, not a big l, because he's not talking to him like he's God. He's talking to him like he's a ruler. The rulers of those days were addressed to as my lord. Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, "Do you not know what these are?" And I said, "No, my lord." So he answered and he said to me, "This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Listen to this." Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So, man, it's not a matter of might and getting out there and doing this or that. It's by his spirit that everything is accomplished. And we have to understand that because if we're trying to accomplish anything in the flesh, no matter how well we plan something out, No matter how much work we put into bringing things together, if it's not done in the Spirit, it's worthless. Absolutely worthless. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's pretty significant. so the Holy Spirit is the supplier of the oil. The supplier of the oil to light the lamp unto the world. it's interesting because we have the account that Jesus gave, and it was a very sobering account, in Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to look at verses uh, 7 through 8. Then all those virgins who arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Well, what was going on, Jesus is giving a parable, and he's gave a parable of like ten virgins, and... um, They were waiting for the bridegroom to come, and they fell asleep. What it was is that was a tradition of that day, that uh, the bridesmaids actually waited for the groom to come. And they would, you know, kind of be... Because that was like a, a tradition. You never knew when the groom was going to come to take his bride. He might come first thing in the morning. He might come at noon. He might come in the middle of the night. But the bridesmaids were supposed to be watching, and they had lamps. And so when they saw the bridegroom coming, they were supposed to light their lamps, and they were, supposed, they were supposed to shout, The bridegroom's coming! The bridegroom's coming! And then the bride would wake up and get herself all ready and dressed, and then the bride would go with him back to his father's house, where he had prepared a place for her to live. That was the tradition. And so when Jesus was giving this account, he, it's interesting, he said, All ten of the bridesmaids fell asleep. In other words, the whole church fell asleep. Then all of a sudden, he's coming. And so they rose up to trim their lamps. But five of them didn't have enough oil. And their lamps were running out. And so they said to the other five, give us some of your oil. And they said, we can't give you our oil. You have to have your own oil. And so when they went to purchase or get more oil, the bridegroom came and they were left out. Well, we have to understand that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the work of the ministry, to be looking forward to our bridegroom coming for us, for his church. And we need to be able to trim our lamps and to know that we have enough oil. And all that requires, brothers and sisters, is for, for people to be born again of the Spirit. When you're born again of the Spirit, he supplies all the oil you need because you're born again of the... Spirit, who is the supplier of the oil. I believe the five foolish virgins were those that had a religious experience. In other words, they were religious. I go to church. I pray. I, had a real, I believe in, in Jesus. I believe in... But they've never really been saved. They didn't have that oil. And then it's also interesting in the Gospel of John... Chapter 15 and verse 4, and it says, he says, I in me, uh, and it says, in me, and I in you. And he says, you're in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so we have to be abiding in Jesus Christ to bear any fruit. And like we have a old crabapple kind of tree that is all in blossom out here. And there's blossoms on the branch. If I go out and cut one of those branches off, even though it has blossoms on it, and I can put it in a thing of water and, and put nutrients in it and put water in it, it's going to die. It's not going to produce any fruit. But all the branches that are on that tree are going to produce wonderful little crab apples. <laughs> you know, this uh, late, late summer, early fall. And the only way we can produce any good fruit is by abiding in Christ. It's abiding in him it's not anything we do it's everything he has already done it's so awesome and the lamp uh could have been made more easily if they would have used a mold in other words you, you guys know what a mold is you have a mold and you lay it down and you pour the melted gold in it and you, you put your cover on it and you can set it up and then as it cools you take the mold off and there's your nice lamp stand you can make one lampstand after another you can kind of mass produce it But the reality is the beauty of holiness is not produced as with a mold in some simple manner, but it is hammered out of the struggles and the victories of life. That's what produces holiness. You might be thinking, you don't know how many struggles and victories I've had. You don't know how many struggles I'm still dealing with. Boy, God sure must love you. Because he's trying to make you into something beautiful. He wants to make something beautiful out of your life. And um, the beauty of Christ in us is evidenced, really and honestly, by how we react to life. By how we react to those difficulties that come our way. Because we have to realize... That it's not pleasure in good times that is an evidence of the Holy Spirit in us. When everything's going great, everybody's great. Hey, I'm happy. Everything's great. <laughs> but it's when difficulty comes that the holiness of God is really manufactured in our lives. Um, I met with someone this week and who doesn't go, go to our church, so you don't even know who I'm talking about. It was a great meeting with him, and he met with me because he was angry at God because of bad things that were happening in his life and to some of his family. And what I shared with him is you have to understand it was never God's intention for man to die. That wasn't his plan. His plan was for man to live eternally in fellowship with him. But man in order to be able to express love, was given a choice. You've heard me share this before. Love requires choice. It's necessary. And man made the wrong choice. And then sin came into the world. And Satan became the prince and the power of this world. And so when you look at all the difficulties, all the sicknesses, all the hard things that are going on in the world, you can be mad, but be mad at Satan. Be mad at the devil in the world. It's not God, because in the midst of all this ugliness, God has poured out the beauty of his Holy Spirit, and he has cleansed, and he has filled us, and he has marked us for redemption. Every one of us that belongs to him, we're redeemed. We're swimming around in a cesspool, but you and I are gold. (laughs) And one of these days, either at death or the rapture, we're going to be popped out of this cesspool, and we're going to be with the Lord. And then his wrath is going to fall on this world. Just what this world has been asking for, it will get. But we're not going to be there. As it was in the days of Sodom, as it was in the days of Gomorrah. What did the Lord do? He took Lot and his family out before his wrath fell. He took Noah and his family and put him on the ark before the flood came. And he's going to take us out of this world before his wrath comes so amazing you know an example of holiness being manufactured in the difficulties of life and, I, and I'm going to embarrass my wife and, and she's giving me eyes and everything but anyway if, if I was going to believe in anthropomorphism that's when you give human like characteristics to animals or inanimate objects but if I was going to believe in anthropomorphism I would believe that electronics hate my wife they do I mean, it's, they, they actually have a mind and a soul, and they hate my wife. They, I'm, I'm serious. Uh, she can come over, like Chuck can tell you, and she wanted to make CDs, you know, for the women's luncheon. And we have a CD duplicator, and it wouldn't work. And so she wanted to make, what I don't know, whatever it was in the computer, and it wouldn't work. So she came over to the house to work on the computer there to see if she could do some of it, and it wouldn't work and i could see it just building up right like it would with any of us but then something wonderful happened in the midst of this volcano building up i got up from her desk i'm going to cry and i don't want to went downstairs and she put christian she put music you know on her our little bose thing and started doing housework and the next thing I know, she's singing and she's dancing and praising God. Do you know what that meant to me? And what an example that is. That's the holiness of God. That's the power of God. I mean, she could have got, come over here and everything worked perfect and over there and everything worked perfect. And she had everything done in five minutes. And she could have said, praise God. Everything's accomplished. And that would have been wonderful and would have been true. But to be able to praise God in the midst of difficulty, is true worship. And I don't know about you. I think probably most of you have difficult times. You know, it's so easy when we look at other people to think, they don't know what I'm going through. They don't know the things I deal with. But those same people are looking at you saying, they don't know what I'm going through. They don't know what I'm dealing with. You follow what I'm saying? We all have our stuff. Every one of us have our stuff. But worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, in the midst of all the stuff you're going through, and you will be amazed at how the Lord will meet with you. I mean, I came downstairs. I thought my wife was back in the hallucinogenic 60s. I mean, she's down there, and she's dancing, and she's singing, and she's praising God, and it just made me happy. Now, in Ezekiel 37, verse 25 we're almost done. And he made the incense altar of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit and its width a cubit. It was square. And two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it and overlaid it with pure gold. And um, remember the whole thing. Overlaying is different than, than uh, you know just plating. It's, it's a thicker, thicker amount of gold. Um, and he uh, overlaid it with pure gold, its top, its sides, and all around, and its horns. He also made it a, a molding of gold all around it. He made two rings of gold for it under the molding by its two corners on both sides as holders for the poles uh, with which were to bear it. And he made the poles, as everything else here, of acacia wood, and he overlaid them with gold. See, the altar always represents. Sacrifice. You ever wonder why they call it the altar of incense? Altar always represents sacrifice, but incense always represents uh, prayer. So there's a double meaning here. It is the sacrifice of our prayers to the Lord. Because as we all know, it's sometimes not easy to pray, right? Sometimes our prayer can be a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice of prayer, And the incense of prayer is that sweet aroma that goes up to the Lord. Did you know that? That our prayers are a sweet aroma to Him? In Luke chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Romans 5, 8. Now, when He had taken the scroll, uh, the four living creatures and... Uh, this is Revelation 5 8, not Romans 5 8, if you're taking notes. Revelation 5 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp. Listen to this. And golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers. Again in Revelation 8, 3 through 5. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Wow. Our prayers are an offering of incense, of sacrifice to the Lord. No matter what's going on in our lives, we offer up our prayers to God. God, help me. And notice it was to be done daily. This was a daily sacrifice. You don't pray just once in a while. You pray every day. Maybe, you know, I think we're in a continuous state of prayer, many of us as believers. But we have to offer up our prayers trusting the Lord. Now, realize this the Lord's answer to your prayers might not be what you want them to be, but they will be what's best for you. I can give you many examples. And uh, But I, I won't bore you with all the details. But there have been different things in my life that I prayed. I said, oh, Lord, you know this is what I want. Lord, this is what I want. Please give me this. I want this more than anything in the world, Lord. Please give this to me. But not my will, but yours. You know, I have to throw that in because the Bible says so. But not my will. But... Well, the Lord didn't give it to me. You know why? It wasn't his will. And in the long run, I look back and I say, thank. Thank you, Jesus, for not giving me what I was seeking after. Because it wasn't what I needed. It wasn't what I wanted. In Luke chapter one, verses ten and eleven, it says, And the whole multitude of the people was praying. Oh, I already read all that. I'm getting down here. I want to talk about the horns and the altar of incense. Horns always represent power. In scripture, horns always represent power. And in this case, it's talking about the altar, sense the horns. It's the power of prayer. More is accomplished through through prayer than all of our vain efforts. Do you know that? More is accomplished through prayer. But we have such a hard time praying. Praying is probably the weakest part of, of everyone. You know, it's just like, and, and look, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip in anyone. I know you have we have people that are practicing music. We have people that have kids and all kinds of other stuff. And, and you can't. But like we have a, a prayer time. I don't know. Maybe some of you, some of you don't know this. We have a prayer time at 8:30 Sunday mornings downstairs in the large Sunday school room. And what do we pray about? We pray about both worship services. That God would really meet with us, would really bless us. And um, you know, anyone who would like to join us, you're welcome to come. You know, I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. In fact, if you're coming because you feel guilt guilty, you're coming for the wrong reasons. But if the Lord, maybe throughout the week or whatever, really puts it on your heart and says, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go and, and I'd like to be praying for the services. That's what we pray about. We pray about the worship team. We pray about the preaching. We pray that people would come in and get saved. You know, it's it's a wonderful time. And then the last thing we're looking at is in verse 29. And he also made the holy anointing oil and the pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the perfumer. Now, the holy anointing oil of the Holy Spirit allows our prayers to be offered in power and in faith. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 22 through 23, And whatever you ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. But you have to couple it with... Uh, um, First John 5:14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything, now listen, according to His will. that's the big according to His will. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked him. Is it the Lord's will for people to be saved? Is it the Lord's will for the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ to go throughout the community, throughout our, our cities, our, our states, our, our nation, our, our world? Yeah, that's the Lord's will. Those are the things we should be praying for. Is it the Lord's will for us to have victory over things that are hiding the Holy Spirit from the world around us? Those are all things that we know God desires for us. And if we ask according to his will, it says we know for sure we have what we ask for. And so our prayer, brothers and sisters, has to be in confidence, confidence in his word. And I think if we come to realize the power of prayer, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, everything in our relationship with Jesus Christ, (laughs) I mean, you think of everything he did in order to keep us in relationship and fellowship with him. And one of the most beautiful, beautiful things the Lord gave us is what we call communion, or the Lord's table. And he says, whenever you come together, you know, to eat this bread and to drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Well, what are we supposed to remember? We were, we're supposed to remember we were lost sinners going to hell and deserved it. Jesus Christ came and he paid the full redemptive price on the cross. He atoned for our sins. He justified us. He purified us. He filled us with his Holy Spirit, gave us the assurance of heaven, and promised that one day we'll be with him forevermore. Wow. Do this in remembrance of me. So every time... We eat of the bread. The unleavened bread we use, you know, represents the broken body of Christ on the cross. When we drink of the juice, it reminds us of the blood that he shed for the remission of sins. And the only reason that you and I know we're going to heaven, the only reason you and I are saved is because what Jesus did. You're not saved because of what you're doing. I don't think there's anything that interferes with the working of God in people's lives than works. Oh, if you come to our church, you have to do this and you have to do that. If you come to our church, you can't do this and you can't do that. If you come to our church, you, you know, that's interfering with the work of God. God wants to take us. Remember that Billy Graham song, come just as you are? We come to the Lord just as we are. And he takes us, he fills us, and he uses us. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name just as we are. And we ask that you would take us and fill us and use us. And as we participate in this communion, in this table that you've laid before us, this command that you have given us to share together often, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, prepare the heart of each person here and that as we share in this table together, your Holy Spirit would give us direction and guidance and light. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, when Jesus sat in the upper room with his disciples on preparation day for the Passover, and he took the unleavened bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you, it had real meaning. It meant that he was willing to sacrifice his humanity, this perfect human being that walked this earth for probably 33 years, he was willing to sacrifice it all for those that he loved. And then when he took the cup, he said, this is my blood in which is the new covenant, because Without the shedding of blood, Scripture says, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus Christ wasn't just a lamb. He was the lamb of God. And when his blood was shed, it was a complete sacrifice and remission of sin because guess what? Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, and he's alive. Because he lives, we live forevermore. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Take the unleavened bread, take the fruit of the vine, and eat and drink and be so thankful for your God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for your word and for this sacrament. And I pray that you would bless it to our spirit's nourishment. I ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys.